everybody, and welcome to another Cat's Cradle. This week, we're Kirsten Liss, so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking with you about my favorite thing, your favorite thing, everybody's favorite thing, it's stat lines. Yes, Kirsten cannot be with us today because she ate a bad burg. Yeah. <sighs> and ordinarily, Kirsten has a high constitution score. Yeah, you roll a one every once in a while. Every once in a while, you roll a one. <laughs> I'm going to roll daring jokes and nope, no successes here. I should have just let you guys keep rolling with the scene. Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. Because now the whole thing like just fell over. And you know what? How you deal with skill rolls and failed skill rolls in a way that keeps the action moving forward is another important aspect of game design, which we're not talking about right now. But you know what? Someday soon. Some cradle soon. Someday soon you're going to like you're going to crack open the door. You're going to quietly creep into the nursery. You're going to peek into that cradle and you're going to see an episode about skill rolls. One day. But not today. And you're going to wonder where your baby went. <laughs> For some reason I feel like we're setting up to like a metal gear joke, but like I can't I I'm not finding like the through line here. Clearly we needed a greater wisdom modifier before we started just rolling with this bullshit. Hey, oh, segue. Do you think we'll actually segue this time? Well, we'll try very hard, but I don't know if it'll work. We can do it. Okay, so stats are kind of the fundamental building block of an RPG. And that's why I find them so fascinating. That's why they're currently like a pet topic of mine. And yet they're the aspect of RPGs that up until relatively recently kind of went the most unremarked on you had D&D of course with its six stats strength dexterity constitution wisdom intelligence charisma and you had games that would sometimes add one or two or change the names of them so that dexterity became grace but would mostly keep the same concept which is the fundamental building blocks of a character in Dungeons and Dragons are a quantifiable physical strength, a quantifiable toughness, etc. A quantifiable toughness and wisdom that is inborn to a large degree and developed over the life to some degree, but is also sort of genetically determinant for lack of a better world. Mm -hmm. I think that D&D is getting away from this a little bit, but like an elf is always more graceful and less constitutional and whatever. Right. Like, um, the only really major variance in, that's not true. There are a lot of variants in stat lines in older games, but one of the biggest ones you see is the choice to add an appearance stat. And as a game design nerd, it's worth it to kind of look at that and just be like, what are you saying in your game when you add an appearance stat? You're saying, first of all, that a person's attractiveness is objectively measurable, which is bananas. But you're also saying that not only is it objectively measurable, but it is also important. Not only is it important, given the way that most stat systems are built, it comes at the expense of some of your other attributes and abilities. Mm. Yes. Yes, the grognard way of looking at the world. <laughs> well, also grognard is still a great word. Everybody use it. It's wonderful. You should use it all the time. 
You know what? I do a lot of arguing with you on this podcast, but you're correct. <laughs> we'll get into why I love the word grognard uh, later at some point, but... When I least expect it. <laughs> but a, a big part about most game systems is that the character stats are... I guess not immutable parts of a character because obviously your stats can go up, your stats can go down, but they are like the sort of like physical reality of your character. They are the material reality of who you are. And also sometimes the, I guess, unmaterial reality of who you are in the case of things like intelligence or charisma or wisdom, but they're... Well, but I don't know. They're made material, right? Because they're yeah. quantifiable right, and relatively static. They are the immaterial made into actual physical things that maybe the characters cannot measure them in-universe, but obviously the players certainly can because, you know, my wizard has an 18 intelligence and your fighter has an 8 intelligence, so very obviously I am the big brainy man and you are the big dumb fighter person. Right. And that is one way to do it. It is. And you're also saying that these things are important. That... As you go through life, you need physical strength, toughness, agility. And I don't think I would say that a person does not need these things, but I also wouldn't say that these are the most important aspects of a person <laughs> when it comes to how they solve problems. Very true. And, and a lot of this obviously does fall back to the fact that, hey, guess what? D&D &D is based off of chain mail. And Chainmail is a war game, a tabletop miniatures war game. And that's kind of all that war games really actually care about is, is your character good at fighting? Is your character good at magic? Is your character good at taking a hit? Is your character good at firing a bow? Right. I don't remember the stat distribution in Chainmail, but I'm pretty certain it's even more basic than D&D. &D. I think it might just be like, Big punch, big sneaks, and big magic. But again, I do not remember what they were exactly. Yeah. They very well could be the sort of D&D &D 6, but again, I've never actually played the game, and it's been a long time since I've actually like gone over the rules of it. Here's another important thing, actually. Now that we're talking about the D&D &D 6, in games in general, we kind of tend to view D&D &D as a default, especially if we're making adventure games, games that are built in the D&D &D mold, like Heroic Chord, for example which I wouldn't describe as being like a D&D alike, but at the same time, it's kind of part of the same genre. Very much follows in the same sort of conversation, like about stats and the way that they've evolved. Exactly. And even though we view D&D &D as a default, that's just really because it's popular. One thing D&D did that a lot of games of its time didn't necessarily do is that D&D &D stated that there was a difference between wisdom and intelligence and that this difference was important. Remember that whenever you're putting something in a stat line, you are saying that it is important to a person's ability to achieve their goals. So D&D &D stated that it is one thing to be capable of calculation. It is one thing to have a high IQ because D&D &D is from a time when that mattered. And to have a sort of sense, to have sensibility, to have senses. Perception skills are almost all wisdom-based that these were different things and that it was important that these were different things. I mean, now that it's coming out of my mouth, it seems kind of like a classist view of intellect because it seems like the things that a person can have without education are called wisdom and the things that a person has to pay money to get at university are called uh, intelligence. And 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure I like that. So let's not talk about D&D anymore. I'm not sure I like it. Um, that's not true. I do love Dungeon Dragon. We can move on, though. I think D&D is a good starting point, though, for the idea behind D&D, whether or not it actually accomplishes this. We can argue about ideology and pretend to be uh, Zizek as much as we want. But the point, though, I think of the D&D stat system was supposed to be like, these are your character's physical attributes. This is, you know, literally what in the setting you are good at. Again, a character with a higher strength is stronger. A character with a higher intelligence is smarter. A character with a higher wisdom, you know, is, I wouldn't say smarter, and I'm not going to say more wise because you can't, you know. More uh, perceptive, makes better decisions, or has more information about decisions. Yeah, a character with more wisdom is... I would say, like, experienced. They've seen more of the world. They are more, maybe more traveled. They're more in tune with sort of, like, the realities of of the non-academic world. Right. And actually, I guess one thing I'd like to just kind of point out is a big reason I didn't go with a D&D style stat line when I was doing Heroic Chord was because I don't believe that intellect is an objective truth that you can say one person is smart and one person is not smart. I don't necessarily believe that to be true. So I obviously didn't want a stat line that included anything like intelligence because I don't believe that's a thing. I'm also deeply iconoclastic and I just want to smash things for the sake of smashing them. Which is also a good reason. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted an alternate stat line so that I could show that I could because that's, well, that's the cat story. So let's talk about some alternate ways of doing stats and let's find like the history of this conversation. And because sort of fundamentally, as you've alluded to, a stat is a thing that gives an RPG character an ability to solve problems. So we have sort of the Dungeons and Dragons style where it's an innate part of your physicality. And then we have, I don't know, something like Vampire the Masquerade, which has a whole bunch of primary stats that I find kind of fiddly, but um, they are broken into physical attributes of your character, sort of some mental attributes of your character, and some social attributes of your character. And they're still kind of in this mold of like, you are inherently this way. But for what is a pretty well-established, like, venerable system, I think that that's one place we can look at as sort of moving directionally away from, like, these are entirely about one thing and more about, like, what sort of problems you are solving with these stats. White Wolf stats can usually be imagined on a grid. Mm -hmm. You have social, mental, physical, and then you have force skill or finesse and ability to withstand and the three by three grid that those two concepts create is your nine stat array in most classic white wolf games, which is why some of them seem a little bit fiddly because they were kind of more in there for the sake of symmetry. You feel like, Mm -hmm. but one thing that white wolf did that I use in heroic chord because it's my single favorite thing about white wolf games by far is the ability to freely combine stats and skills. I think in D&D, the notion that every skill has got a particular stat you need to roll it with is nonsense. 
just utter nonsense. And I got a lot of joy playing vampire out of saying, yeah, but I want to roll this with strength. And I just want to throw a chair at the man. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw a chair at the man and make my point that way. And <laughs> was not only allowed, but encouraged. And it made me feel like I was creatively solving problems to a degree that D&D didn't always. With a chair. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, as you do. As you do. And so I suppose then one of those things is if the sort of free associative stat combined with skill system, I think allows you to get away with fewer skills. The designers of White Wolf would disagree with you. (laughs) But um, that's what I found, actually. I was like, well, uh, two different takes on like any of the things that a person does with their body can pretty much be defined as different ways of using a catch-all athletic skill. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, I didn't need a ton of skills to encompass what basically a bunch of different approaches to the same skill would do. And that's hypothetically what a free associative game like that is capable of. But White Wolf does have a lot of skills. White Wolf has a lot of everything. White Wolf has a lot of things. (laughs) A lot of skills is also something that, like, that is a little more old school. That's true. There's only X many things that you can do as a person. I mean, look, sometimes you take this a little too far and you wind up with GURPS. You wind up with GURPS. You wind up with GURPS sometimes if you go a little too far with this. Listener, listener, don't end up like GURPS. Or at the very least, not GURPS vehicles. <laughs> uh, but but weird, weird inside jokes aside, though... Um, Nope, sorry, my brain was enti- is entirely full of dumb inside <laughs> jokes about GURPS and GURPS vehicles. Uh, take it away, cat. <laughs> White Wolf does stick to the D&D mold where it is, these are immutable aspects of what makes a person, and these are important because these are what a person uses to achieve their goals. And what a person uses to achieve their goals is like strength, dexterity, stamina, or toughness, or what have you. And there's often like minor changes between uh, between editions or between games. Like I know Scion has a slightly different stat line than Classic World of Darkness, but not by much. You can still kind of see the same core design philosophy at work. And there's a lot of modern games that, that don't take that tack at all. One that I don't know if it's old enough to be called a classic right now, but one that everybody has heard of and many people have played is Honey Heist. And Honey Heist takes the tack that these are two aspects of your character that must be kept in balance. You are bear and you are criminal. You know, as most people are. You achieve your goals by being bear or by being criminal. In other words, your ability to achieve your goals doesn't come from immutable aspects of your character, but from who you are at any given moment, because these values can change. And is that necessarily the philosophy that went into Honey Heist? I don't know. It's by the designer of Dr. Magnet Hands. Also a classic. (laughs) I fucking love Dr. Magnet Hands. (laughs) A game that is only not called a classic because of how young it is, Lasers and Feelings. Mm -hmm. I guess you could describe Lasers and Feelings as approaches. Mm. You are either achieving your goals using lasers or using feelings. Right. And again, this is, it's not as um, mutable and it's not as free flowing as Honey Heist, 
But lasers and feelings aren't objective truths about you as a person. It's just kind of where you are on a sliding scale between logic and emotion, which as a commentary on Star Trek is extremely appropriate. Mm -hmm. I have noticed that there are a few games like that, which do the sort of like, there are the two aspects of your character and you get by by playing to either of those two aspects. I I have noticed that that is a little bit more popular these days. And so what does that accomplish for us? Because the first thing that jumps out to me about all of these systems is that the stat system in something like Honey Heist or Lasers and Feelings or... Um, the new one that I've seen is Car Lesbians. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah, your yeah. two stats are like driving and hotness. Yes. So we're getting to this point in these stat systems where you're not just communicating something about your character, you're communicating something about the game and its setting and its themes. Right. Because the first thing you say to somebody when you're trying to explain a honey heist to them is, you have two stats, bear and criminal. What you're communicating is that your character is a criminal bear. Mm -hmm. You are bear, you are criminal. You are hot, you are a good driver. Duality concepts like this are really good at communicating what the core values of a game are. I mean, this is a very good point when, I mean, when you pull it back to something like D&D, you know, what does it say when, you know, your character has these six stats? Well, the the idea, you know, of the six stats is obviously, you know, like this is supposed to be at some level some sort of simulation. There is some sort of verisimilitude being aimed for. That is a goal. The goal isn't to think of, you know, what would it be like to be a bear criminal or what would it be like to have, you know, feelings in space? <laughs> you know, the goal is like, no, you are this finite person who exists in this finite world that can be broken down into, you know, finite pieces. Like that is what, you know, uh, a stat line like D&D says, you know, like you are in some way, shape or form attempting to simulate what it would be like to be this adventurer in this world. You know, whether or not we want to say that, like, it's a completely accurate way of what being a person is like. I mean, obviously not. But the point is, you are going for much more of this actual, like, simulationist thing. Right. You know, obviously, if you wanted to go full simulationist, you could do things like, well, I have a thirst meter. I have a hunger meter. I have a sleep meter. No. I have a pee meter. Like, that kind of stuff. And that's something that, that's very interesting is that unlike... Games like, and I'm going to keep bringing up Honey Heist, for example. Honey Heist tells you pretty clearly what the game is about. It's about being bare and being criminal. You're not going to play a game of Honey Heist about doing something that isn't particularly animal and isn't particularly criminal. Yeah, this isn't bears doing taxes. Right. Well, unless they're doing white-collar crime. So these smaller stat systems carry a lot of thematic information, but they also sort of do restrict what actions you can take for probably the good of the game. Right. A lot of the games we've mentioned are not something you necessarily play campaign-wise, but that you sit down and have fun with some friends with. Right. And at the same time, D&D is not setting you on a path with its stats, but it is saying that it's like D&D is meant to tell stories about physical survival and about kind of mm -hmm. puzzle solving, you know, dungeoneering stuff. 
what's the point in having an intelligence stat if your character isn't going to face problems that test their intelligence? Right. I mean, it does say that, although it doesn't say as much about what is expected of the game as a smaller modern game that has a more focused stat line says. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite, favorite games ever that I never shut up about and that you guys are going to play with me very, very soon is Golden Sky Stories. I thought we were going to hit Ghost Echo there. Well, Ghost Echo doesn't have any stats. This is true. Ghost Echo is a very good game, but it doesn't actually fit this episode. So sorry, dear listeners. Uh, You should still check it out, though. It is very good, but there are no stats, so it is not part of this discussion. Every cat's cradle, we have to tell the listener to play Ghost Echo. (laughs) I mean, play my game. Play all my games, but play Ghost Echo. But Golden Sky Stories has four stats. It's kind of like a larger scale honey heist. It's adult, child, animal, and henge, which is a magical transforming animal. And you are all four of these things to some degree. Golden Sky Stories isn't so much about achieving goals as it is about just kind of being. Finding ways to be in harmony with the people around you. And so a stat line of just the things that you are in various concentrations says pretty clearly, like, this isn't a game about who is stronger or who is smarter. This is a game about being a child and being an animal and being an adult and being a magical creature. Well, and so that brings it to what sort of actions are your characters taking? And we've gotten to a point where I think that really, even if it's about being and being in harmony with everyone else, you still have conflicts and problems and solutions to those problems just because that's the way that stories get told. Exactly. And I think that this kind of concept of, well, here are the approaches to solving the problems that we've been talking about with a lot of these more contemporary games, I think leads us to Heroic Chord's stat system, which I believe you explained to us in the manual and the first time we were talking about it, is that the stats in Heroic Chord are about how your character solves problems. Yep. And specifically, how your character chooses to solve problems. So Cobb does not have a high understanding. That does not mean that Cobb is less intelligent than Tissa, who has a high understanding. It just means that Cobb does not use understanding to solve problems. He can if he likes to, but typically he prefers to solve problems with daring. By taking action. Yeah, he he needs to take action. Intelligence is where this started. I don't believe that intelligence is an objective truth. And what that led me to was not only a system about how people choose to solve their problems, but it also, I realized when we were doing our first play test, Kirsten's character, Felicity, used a cane. She suffered an injury during her pilgrimage and relied on a cane as a mobility aid and this in no way penalized her over the course of the game because we weren't making agility rolls or anything like that. So Kirsten was free to play a character who relied on a mobility aid and was in no way punished for that. Not having a charisma stat leaves room to play characters who interact differently with the world around them. Characters, say, on the autistic spectrum are suffering from any number of mental illnesses can do that without penalties. And that 
was something that I stumbled into in playtesting. Like, I would love to say that was my intention all along because I would love to make myself seem like the kind of person who set out to do this. <laughs> but uh, we found it in playtesting, and I absolutely love that the game is capable of this because another one of my favorite games is Legend of the Five Rings. I love La Fervor. You know I love La Fervor. I've referenced it on the podcast before. Oh, yes. And it's one of those games that has a merit and flaw system. And some of the merits and flaws are things like injuries, limbs that are injured or otherwise unavailable, sensory impairments like blindness or deafness. And these are flaws that you take penalties to roles for. And that, I mean, sucks. <laughs> mm. And plus, a lot of these penalties are just complete made-up nonsense. Like, I've watched wheelchair basketball. <laughs> I'm not going to stop a person who relies on a wheelchair from rolling athletics. I've, <laughs> seen what, <laughs> I've seen what wheelchair athletes can do, and it's a lot more than my profoundly doughy ass. So who <laughs> the hell am I to tell somebody that their character who relies on a wheelchair can't be athletic <laughs> like i can't be athletic <laughs> focusing instead on how characters use their resources also kind of felt more survivally to me mm -hmm. because it's more about how you react to situations around you yeah well especially adaptability yeah it's a good stat adaptability is a good stat i like it well and so i guess also talking i guess about like, we're not really talking about character classes in this thing, but I feel like Heroic Chord doesn't lead you by the nose as hard into specific stat types for specific character archetypes. In Dungeon Dragon, if you are a wizard and you didn't pump up that intelligence, you're going to be a bad wizard. You are a fool and a shitty wizard. And, like, that's kind of not super fun when you have a game that's also, like, a war game. Has You're talking about optimization and that sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas, like, there's no reason that a wandering magus has to be high understanding. That was something that was deliberate. Um, that's something I can actually take credit for, which I'm very pleased Usually these are things that I stumbled blindly into while I was just smashing everything around me to try to prove I'm an artist. Uh, that's something that always kind of frustrated me about D&D. &D, and I realized that like the, the fewer things that your stat system is anchored to, the more freedom the characters have. Mm -hmm. So I deliberately took spellcasting and did not anchor it to a stat. Right. And that was specifically so that a player could choose to cast a lot of spells or not, and that was based on how they wanted to play the game, not based on decisions they made day one or a choice they made between that and maybe a like an axeman. I really like that about the game. I like the fact that, again, like if I had wanted to, for instance, with Cobb, who is a large muscle man, I could play him as like a almost wizard-like. I could cast magic all the time. You know, I don't because like Cobb likes to solve problems physically. Cobb will use magic because he can, but that is not sort of who he is. But at the same time, I am not penalized in any way, shape, or form 
for doing this. I it's not that Cobb casts, you know, doesn't cast a lot of magic because oh, your understanding stat is low. It's like, no. Cobb doesn't cast a lot of magic because that's just not who he is. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas Tissa casts a lot of magic because that's how she is. She is a person who's really invested in feeling out the world around her. And since magic in the setting is explicitly a thing that's everywhere that you tap into, that flows directly into the character concept. Right. And at the same time, like, Tissa is not going to be punished for picking up a weapon and doing melee combat. Mm-hmm. Actually, au contraire, it hasn't come up, but Tissa is going to be rewarded next time she does melee combat. The fancy flower spear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, like, I gave you that spear and we haven't done any combat since, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We got a story payoff for it anyway, so. Whereas, I guess on the other side of it, when I played Vi uh, as part of the dirt bags for Kirsten's training wheels, Vi... Well, Vi interacts with through combat with magic. I think she st- she has a combat stat because all of the classes have at least one point in a combat stat because Cat does not want people to be stuck going like, I don't know. Yep. Despite the fact that Vi interacts mostly through the world of being a big nerd, that didn't actually have that much to do with the way that she looked at combat, which was to be like a, a weird gremlin who cast magic spells like, you know, Mischief Bolt. Tom's dumb, horrible spells like Fry's Bolt. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no. well, Fry's Bolt was Kirsten's fault. Or you could be a character with a high daring who casts like, like May. May actually was a high daring character who cast magic mm-hmm. all the time. Right? Yeah. Yep. I think Miller cast a boatload of spells. We cast a lot of spells in Kirsten's training wheels. They were all stupid. Well, okay, we were the dirtbags. We had great big gremlin energy, and the magic system in this game is very accommodating if you would like to be. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's kind of not what we're here for, but um, one thing I noticed playing Miller is just that I was encouraged to do sneaky things because I put a high subtlety down, which was something that wasn't what the game was designed for, but the end result was that it turns out when you untether stats from everything else in the game, people want to roll more dice. They want to do stuff they're good at. Which means the stats kind of almost serve as a guideline for the players. Mm-hmm. If Nick is ever like, what would Cobb do? He looks at the stat line and he says, I don't know, something. <laughs> Because he's got a high daring, so what Cobb wouldn't do is sit around wondering what to do. I found myself looking at Miller's stat line and going, well, like, oh, well, I guess Miller would do something sneaky. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because that's how Miller rolls. I've been really delighted by the way the stat line has served as kind of a roleplay aid in this game. I hope that's your experience, player friends, and your experience, listeners, with Heroic Chord as well. It's just a stat system you can count on. You can even do some other weird stuff with systems that are decoupled from physicality. So, for instance, in something that maybe I will run for you, the dear listeners and everybody else here, Unsanctioned Heroic Court Expansion, where I was working on a ranger type who gains psychic powers, and the rules for psychic powers simply state, you may use focus for any sensitivity role. Because sensitivity isn't like an actual physical how good you hear that sort of thing, you can very easily flavor a lot of stuff in this system by simply stating you can use something for more than you would think. And you can actually get a lot of really cool 
effects out of it. And that's one of the things I really do like about systems that decouple stats from materialism. And especially one of the things I really like about Heroic Horde. Yeah, like high sensitivity doesn't necessarily mean you have keen senses. It just means that you solve your problems by paying attention to what's around you and trying to take in information from your surroundings. Like a high sensitivity humanity means you are very empathetic. You are very open to other like, well, I mean, it doesn't have to be, but you could play a character with a high humanity and sensitivity as an empath. They solve problems by reading the room and attacking, quote unquote, the sort of the human element of the problem by going toward in that direction. The other thing is that if you're playing someone with a sensory impairment, that like you're not penalized in any way because having a high sensitivity means just you solve your problems by taking in information. It doesn't say how, and it doesn't have any concrete connection. So if you are playing a person who is deaf, who solves their problems by looking around, taking in visual, taking in scent information, taking in touch, there is information out there and that's what they need. Then, okay, one of their senses is impaired. So like the game doesn't care about that even a little bit. Which I like. Yeah. It allows a lot greater variety of player characters and character like archetypes and ideas without essentially forcing characters to min-max. You know, if your idea is, you know, I want to be the blind kung fu master, that's fairly easy to do, honestly, in the setting. Oh, yeah. You can get that character up and running real easy. You just say you're blind. Like, honestly, you say, hey, GM, my character's blind. That's all. That's it. <laughs> You're not sitting there taking blind fighting and I got to up my, you know, perception role and I got to up my whatever roles. Just no. You're just like, my character is blind. And you play them as they were. And that's all you have to do. Like you don't, again, you don't have to go, well, if I want to fight, you know, in our game about fighting monsters, I have to take these feats and I have to do these things and I have to very specifically you know, go out of my way to game around the system. You know, and it's, that's very refreshing and honestly one of the reasons why I can't play a lot of extremely crunch-heavy games these days is because it's like, oh, I have this great idea for a character. Eh, they don't really work in the system. It also comes down to just like, a stat line describes, as this is the part where we do our thesis statement, right? Thank you for listening to my speech on stat lines. In short... Webster's Dictionary. In short, stats are a land of contrasts. <laughs> you. <laughs> but um, stats describe who the character is and how they achieve their goals. When you're playing games that are heroic adventure stories, like D&D or Scion or Legend of the Five Rings or Heroic Chord, what a stat line says is, this is what a hero is. And so, I guess, for those of you who are game designers, maybe your first step should be, what do I think a hero is? What kind of hero do I want to tell stories about? And so, I guess if we really want to boil it down, and maybe I'm speaking for you here, but... To me, it feels like a hero in Heroic Chord is someone who is willing to do things and, like, solve the problems that need to be solved. 
Yeah. And that's a really simple kind of thing, but that really ties into the themes of the game. A hero in Heroic Court is somebody who cares and will work to further that caring. Yeah. Sorry, I'm running out of words as usual. Mm. Sorry, guys. Nick has tapped all of his words. So until our next untap step, later, listeners. (laughs) Yeah, my words pool is, is running low here. I didn't put a lot of points into my words stat. Nick's words work kind of like Vancey and magic. They disappear from his head after he has said them. That's not far from the truth. (laughs) So thank you very much for listening to this episode, everybody. Yeah. I hope that we gave you some food for thought in the games that you love and the way they interact with you. If you're a game designer, I hope we gave you some food for thought in your next big project. I'd love to hear all about it. Genuinely, I would love to hear all about it. I love talking shop. You can talk shop with me using the email form on our website at peachgardengames.com or on Twitter at peachgardenrpgs. Tell us about how you ran out of stat points during CareGen. Or there were points where, like, your stat system delivered you something very interesting role-playing-wise. Design a game where the two stats are fart and elevator. Or don't do that. Please don't. No, it's too late. The episode's already over. Oh, no. (laughs) Crap. Kathleen ended the episode. (laughs) I can't even redeem myself now. Kathleen's ended it.